Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Giraffes Have Black Tongues Comics. I'm Dave and I'm joined again by co-host Donnie. Donnie, what's up, man? Not much. What's up with you? Oh, not a not a whole lot. Been watching a lot of stuff on Netflix. Check out Bojack Horseman like you'd recommended last week. Oh yeah. Uh finished all of that the other day. And I'm halfway through the second season of Big Mouth right now. Oh, that's right. I haven't gotten into Big Mouth yet. How's how do you like in the second season? <laughs> it's it's still just as hilarious. All right, I'll check it out then. I saw it came up. I didn't get around to downloading it yet, but I'll check it out. Yeah, it it's funny. Yeah. What do you think of BoJack? It was solid. Yeah, it was all right. I like his uh drug problem. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty good. He rides off into the sunset at rehab. Right. <laughs> I did like I did like pickles. That was probably that was probably my favorite part of the entire season. Was just anytime Bojack and Pickles would interact, and he would always forget who she was. Yeah, you'd always just be like, "Why is the waitress here again?" Right. Do I need to remember her? <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the highlight of the entire season. Right. So anyway, speaking of speaking of talking dogs, yeah. Scooby Doo. Oh, Apocalypse. hey, yeah, nice. Boom. Transitioned yeah. church. <laughs> that was a good one. All right. I know. So I guess we will. Yeah, we're talking about Scooby Doo or Scooby Apocalypse and Umbrella Academy uh, Apocalypse Suite today. Yeah. I guess we'll start with Scooby Doo then. Please, please tell me you got a uh, soundboard clip of that one like shitty, weird, like opera metal band Apocalypto to play <laughs> on this episode since everything else is apocalypse related. Uh, I don't have anything about Apocalypto. <laughs> Because I would never have thought I didn't, of that. I didn't think. I forgot. I forgot the title of it was Apocalypse Suite, so I, I didn't think of it at all until just now when you said them out loud. But man, what a what a missed opportunity! Yeah, I should have grabbed Apocalypse from the X Men. That would have been a good one. You know, I'm sure X Men characters are saying Apocalypse. Yeah, just like oh no, it's Apocalypse. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, by the way, we we decided for October we are going to be doing horror books. So this apocalypse thing fits right in. We've decided to call this month Giraffe Tober, and I made a drop. Ooh, Giraffe Tober! <laughs> yeah, Giraffe Tober. Fuck yeah! <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Giraffe Tober, everyone. I like I like that drop. I'm I'm happy with that one. That's that's a solid one. Yeah. So. Giraffe-tober, which we totally planned before October, and not in the middle of October. That was definitely part of the definitely. plan. We just came up with the name. That was the thing we did, because we plan ahead. That's right. Because we're dedicated to our craft. Fuck yeah. So, we're starting with Apocalypse. Scooby Apocalypse. Oh, hold on. Scooby Apocalypse. Transition. That's what everyone listening was waiting for. Yeah. Oh, fuck. We should have. We forgot to do the... Intro. We still got to get our Jamie Josta intro. Oh man. Um, hey, Bree, Giraffe Tober. Right, that was terrible. Giraffe Tober. Welcome to GHBT Comics, where we talk about horror comics. Oh, hi, Dave. Metal. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Got a great show for you today. Not, not bad. <laughs> there you go. Seamless. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, I pulled another clip that uh, Jamie Justa's intros remind me of this. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's pretty similar. <laughs> oh, fuck. So I, I like I oh, like man. that style of intro. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> I love the room. Speaking of the room. Oh, hi, doggy. Scooby Doo. <laughs> so what'd you what'd you think of this scooby-doo story i want to read into this a little bit before next time when we talk about one of these just because i don't know if like when dc decided to do the entire relaunch the entire rebirth relaunch angle for all their books this was like an intended thing where they're like hey we're gonna redo all the old hannah Barbera properties that we have since we own them all and they're kind of just going to waste because Man, they are putting in some serious effort and really trying hard with uh, like all these big Hanna Barbera like cartoon character properties that they own. Yeah, like Flintstones. This one, I mean, they had Jim fucking Lee as the author on this one. 
who is one of the most like historically greatest comic pencilers slash writers of all time. I mean, this this wasn't just like some new intern guy that they hired to like pencil some shitty like thrown together Scooby Doo book. This is fucking Jim Lee for Christ's sake. So this is a pretty big deal. What what else did Jim Lee work on? So Jim Lee, along with Chris Claremont, are credited with writing the all-time greatest selling comic book of all time, or ever, uh, X-Men number two, volume one, which was basically like an early 90s spinoff X-Men comic book. It was the second X-Men storyline. Oh, okay. So they just called it X-Men regular because Uncanny X-Men was the other X-Men book at the time. It's it's still regarded uh, by Guinness World Records as the number one selling comic book story of all time. So, I mean, he's worked okay. on that. Uh, he used to work on a bunch of other stuff with Marvel. He, he did Punisher, I think it was Punisher Warzone, I think it was. Okay. Um, And then when he since he's gone over to DC, he's done a bunch of their bigger titles as well. Um, He actually just got promoted to the chief creative officer at DC. So he's kind of like running everything for dc right now because uh jeff johns just recently had stepped down from that position i mean oh, he is quite quite the accomplished uh, guy as far as like comics go this is a big time move that's about as veteran as you can get i guess with the pure artist yeah and it's it's really surprising that he's the guy they have like do this one as opposed to just some intern who they're given a chance to like try yeah they're, yeah. they're seriously putting forth real effort into this it seems and then i was just looking online because um I've tried reading this one through that website that we don't mention out loud, mm-hmm. but it kept crashing on my computer for me. So I had to check that little online source that my library has where they have a bunch of the uh, stuff available and they actually had this one on there. So I, I just read it from that. Oh, nice. But immediately after finishing, like they'll always like recommend like a handful of books that people who read this one will suggest. And they suggested like this new Jetson series that they have, which the artwork on that looks unbelievably good. And yeah. there was also this uh, new Snagglepuss series. I sent you the pictures, but I'll, maybe I'll post them on our Facebook or Instagram or something so people can check them out. But man, they're going seriously hardcore with these uh, Hanna-Barbera things, it seems. Which is kind of cool. I mean, if, if you liked the cartoons growing up as a kid, like I always used to see the old reruns on syndication, like getting ready for school in the morning and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is cool. Oh yeah, definitely. I saw like all these shows uh, when I was a kid as well. I was really into Scooby-Doo when I was a kid, and of course I watched a lot of the Jetsons and Flintstones, because those were always on. But speaking of these other Hanna-Barbera comics, there was also one that was a uh, a new comic book series where it was a crossover with other Hanna-Barbera characters, like I, I think Johnny Quest was in there, and uh, Space Ghost was in there, and a couple other ones, Ooh. but I can't remember. But I, I, would, I do want to check those ones out eventually, too. I found a Yogi Bear one when I was looking around. Oh shit! Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, they they are going all out with these. I mean, yeah. That, I mean, that's cool. It's a good idea. I could get kids interested in reading comic books from an early age. So hopefully it'll work out. Let's see. Yeah, I hope so. So so far, I mean, the artwork on these things has been incredible. Like just that cover art for that uh, Jetsons one I saw was the coolest I, I think I've seen in forever. Yeah. But the stuff on this was really cool as well, too. They all look fucking great. It's uh, very impressive artwork that they've had. And I really like the way they drew Shaggy in this book. Because he, he, has, he has excellent facial hair. Yeah, Sh- Shaggy's beard is looking nice. Fuck yeah. Like, all of the art looks really good. I, I like how they drew Fred as well, because he's like this big, strong dude. He's got tattoos and shit. Like, he's got those tribal tattoos around his arm. I didn't see any tattoos on Fred. No, 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 Shaggy's got the tats. I didn't see anything on Fred. No, Fred had a little bit, like, around his uh, bicep on his, uh, you know, so if his sleeve comes up a little, you, like, see a little bit of tribal tattoo. Oh, which really? I thought was fitting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Shaggy was the... Uh... Yeah, Sh- Shaggy's got, like, the full arm sleeve going on. Yeah, I think Shaggy was great. He he looked like, a, you know, just the classic burnout-type character. I mean, he's like a young hipster version of Green Arrow is what he looks like. Oh, yeah. Like Green Arrow from The Rebirth, he looks exactly like that with that facial hairstyle. He's got like an earring. He's a younger version of Oliver Queen, basically. Yeah, he's got that crazy mustache. That's fucking awesome. And then uh, the other ones uh, with uh, Scooby-Doo. So he's drawn a lot more realistically than in the cartoon, obviously. 
and they also give him a cybernetic eye patch. It's like a scouter from Dragon Ball Z, if you know what that is. But I wonder what that thing does. I couldn't really understand why oh, he wanted it. The Vegeta sunglass thing? Vegeta's like eyeglass thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know shit. So, yeah, there you go. Scooby has one of those. But I'm not sure what the function of it is. It seems like it was finding cake and shit. Like, they didn't explain why they had the glasses for the dogs, but the dogs were all a part of this, like, uh, smart dog program thing that the military was secretly doing. Yeah. To try to make the dogs able to talk so that they could assist soldiers. But for some reason, yeah, they also got it, these built-in, like, glasses, eyewear, technology, things that do something. Right, yeah. Shaggy was not giving it to him. Well, in the first issue, he's like, oh, you can't wear this right now. And Scooby was upset about it. And so he eventually gave it to Scooby. And then he was like, happy. So I I really don't understand what the function of these eyeglasses are. But all the other dogs had one, too. Yeah. Speaking of the other dogs, though, later in in the book, we see Scrappy-Doo. I'm sure you were happy about that, right? So I don't get why every single every single Scooby Doo thing has to make Scrappy Doo be the enemy though. What, like, why is that their go-to every single time now? What, what, what was the other time they did this? That live-action movie they just did like a decade ago, or whatever, <laughs> with Matt Lillard and uh, Linda Cardellini. Okay. Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince. Like Scrappy Doo turned out to be the bad guy of that thing, and Mr. Bean was in it, I think. Oh. And Joanna Mann. Oh, nice. Wow, it's an all-star cast. Yeah, the most all-star, the most all-star packed cast of all time. Right. I don't know why he's always the bad guy, but I think it's because he was very annoying in the original show. Wasn't he not a very popular character? I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's that bad. Okay. Yeah, in, in this one, though, Scrappy-Doo, he's, he's a, you know, a smaller dog than Scooby. What kind of dog is that? Do you know dog types? I assume he's just a young Great Dane. Puppy version. Okay, possibly. Yeah, I know this. I know this part's kind of in the end, but Scrappy Doo is uh his talking enhancement is much better than Scooby's, so he can you know he talks a lot like he did in the in the original show. Well, well they did explain that though too. Um, Scooby was like the first ever dog that they had enlisted in this program, mm-hmm. and by all accounts, he was the biggest failure of the program as well. So that's why he still says everything like with an R kind of talks as if he was like a toddler explained and all the other dogs exceeded him in every single way and surpassed him that's true so scrappy is an example of one of those dogs and scrappy Doo also had a bane like serum where he <laughs> transforms himself into like a big strong looking dog that stands on two legs <laughs> yeah because he stood on two legs in the original show so they, they kind of brought it back this way. And the way he's drawn is he looks really big, but I'm, I'm going to guess that he's actually very small once we see him next to the other people. Because I think like they're just doing a fooling you with the perspective because we haven't gotten to the part where they actually meet Scrappy-Doo. He was just uh, walking around yeah, with th- other this dogs. Was like the closing of this was the closing part. It was kind of like the uh, trailer for the next yeah. book. It's a teaser. It makes us want to read further. And it does. Yeah, for sure. So I have a feeling he's going to be just very small, like, you know, that's going to be the joke. But we'll see if I'm wrong. Well, I, I think I think in the, the live-action movie, when he turns out to be the bad guy, mm-hmm. he does some kind of, like, weird Bane Venom concoction where he turns <laughs> all, like, jacked. He gets super swole and stuff. Oh, really? Before attacking them. Okay. So I, I don't know if it's supposed to be based off of that or, or what, but, yeah. I think they did do that to him already once. Okay, I didn't know that, but... So anyway, this book, though, going back to the beginning here, Velma works for this government facility that developed nanites that were supposed to make people less violent, but now apparently turns people into monsters, like mummies and like Frankensteins. Yeah. And then there are a bunch of like weird zombies. Yeah. They're like, oh, it just turns us to, it turns people into the, our conventional view of what a monster is. So just monster movies. So that's what they do. And Fred and Daphne work for our TV show hosts. Well, Daphne's a TV show host. Fred's her cameraman. And they're investigating this 
mystery here because she has a show called Daphne Blake's Mysterious Mysteries. Very creative name. My my very first note is I had other than Fred Jones, I had never known any of the uh, last names of these characters, but I immediately made note of all of them because I'd never heard them before. Daphne Blake, then uh, Dr. Velma Dinkley, and then Shaggy Rogers, and Shaggy's name is Norville Rogers. That one I didn't know. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever heard any of these other last names or Shaggy's real name before, just Fred Jones somehow. I seem to remember Fred and Velma, but the other ones I didn't know or didn't remember. Hmm. But anyway... Fred and Daphne go and meet Velma because they are going to <laughs> help. <laughs> no, no, they're meeting. They're meeting a inside source. They don't know it's Velma because none of them know each other yeah. beforehand. This is like a uh, fresh relaunch of the entire series, so they're all meeting for the first time. And, <laughs> uh, possibly my favorite part of the entire book is Fred freaks out when Velma opens up a hatch under the ground and pops her head out. And Fred thinks it's a mole person, and instead of like being brave, he throws his camera at her and just kind of runs away and hides behind Daphne. <laughs> and he hits her right in the face. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> so this uh, military place is underground. So I guess one of the exits is a big rock, and these Doc Ock arms like lift the rock up, and then you can climb out of the hole. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, oh, and, and throw it. They were in the Nevada desert because it was like a Burning Man type of uh, music festival, I guess, yeah. called Blazing Man. Right. Where, of course, everyone eventually turns into monsters. When Fred throws the camera at Velma, uh, it causes Scooby-Doo to go in that direction to protect her because of some sort of programming thing. So Shaggy follows, so that's how the five of them get together. They go in the facility. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what the glasses do. Like, Fred or Shaggy had a contact lens that was something that was somehow connected to it. But then I guess Velma also was wearing those, even though she's still wearing her glasses. And so Scooby was able to see, like, her getting attacked by Fred. And that's why he kind of, like, ran over to go and protect Velma, I guess. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, point is, five of them are together. They go into the facility and they're in some sort of safe room when the protocol to the release the nanites gets set off somehow. And, uh, you know, since they're in the safe room, they're not affected, but it looks like everywhere else is. So that's how it becomes the apocalypse. Also, I wrote, you could tell it's it's clearly written by a DC or a Marvel like writer mm -hmm. because their go to for every fucking storyline is always. It's some kind of nanite technology or some kind of nanite monster. Like, it's popular these days. That happens so goddamn often, yeah. That's, that's always their go-to. Yeah, well, we just had an X-Men book about that. The hate nanites. I was going to say, yeah, the most recent X-Men series is the nanite sentinels. Yeah. Yeah, but these nanites are cooler because they just make you... They turn you into monsters instead of just make you hate things. So I think these ones are better. True. Hell yeah. Okay, so then this book kind of follows Scooby and the gang, uh, walking around trying to figure out the whole apocalypse situation and get in touch with other... So so there's a mystery... Oh, what do they call it? The mystery machine? Oh, that's right. Or the mystery van? Yeah. Thing from the cartoon. Mystery machine. Yeah, but instead of just being a van like it is in the old <laughs> cartoon series, it's like this giant monster-killing tank. Yeah, it's like an armored vehicle straight out of the military. Which I think they should have at least painted it silly colors, and then I think it'd be better. Yeah, it wasn't. It was like a dark, like army camo green, as opposed to the you know, classic green and like light blue. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe eventually they will paint it because when they saw it, it's like the mystery machine. It's just an armored vehicle. So it was kind. Of, I was kind of disappointed with the mystery machine because everything else looks so cool and like you know the art style was really nice, but then there's just a very boring vehicle. With a fun name. It doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, they're they're driving around, they're killing vampires and demons and shit. They eventually get to a Walmart type store. I forget what the name was of their fake Walmart. Oh, I think it was just Mall Mart. Walmart, yeah, yeah. So they're in a Mall Mart and they're looking for a laptop to get Velma connected to you know other facilities or whatever to contact the military to see what's going on. And I th is, she, is she trying to contact the four? Yeah, I think that's the entire thing. Is she's just trying to find these four scientists 
who she keeps telling Daphne and them that they're the ones who created this nano technology. So she's trying to find like a fail safe or whatever if they know what it is. Right. One of the problems I have with this book is Velma is super repetitive. Velma and Daphne, their whole relationship thing, how Daphne keeps getting angry at Velma, like, oh, this is your fault. This is your fault. And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I, I, I know I'm being mean, but blah, blah, blah. It's okay. I'll, I'll help you. And then it goes right back to, oh, this is, everything's your fault. Everything's your fault. Yeah, that, that was getting kind of annoying. Yeah. So I wasn't the only one then. No. All right, good. Like, she never changed pace. Like, that's all it was the entire time. Anytime she talked to her, she was just blaming her for the entire thing. Yeah. Even though every single time Velma explained, I was the one who came forward trying to stop this from happening after I realized what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Even after Daphne's like, okay, I understand. Maybe we can move on from this. And they just go right back to it. <laughs> then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every issue. That was a that was a rough part. I thought just the they keep saying the same thing about the fucking apocalypse, and they keep having the same argument. Eventually, we do learn about Velma's past, though, in the last issue of this yeah. one, which I thought I, I I liked that issue a lot. I thought it was uh, informative. So it turns out Velma, well, you know, Velma's a super genius, and she doesn't connect well with people. She has four brothers who eventually turn out to be the four, and they end up hiring her way later so that's how she got this job in the first place was because of her family and she has her rich successful brothers oh and also daphne is from wealth as well her family owns the baker bubble bath empire that's right which shaggy uses to wash all the dogs at the facility <laughs> yeah connections they're all connected yeah they're all rich that's right for those two well yeah i think uh maybe not shaggy i think shaggy just like goes from Part-time job to part-time job. No, no, he was he was a part-time dog walker who got hired into this like big government dog walking program. Yeah, <laughs> so he's just supposed to take care of dogs, I guess. But it showed him in flashbacks, like working at McDonald's and fast food shit and everything. So yeah, he's he's kind of a burnout guy. Fred and Fred keeps proposing to Daphne periodically. Oh yeah, he lost count after like two years ago because he does it all the fucking time. Yeah, Fred is kind of a weirdo in this book he's a real creep yeah he's obsessed with daphne probably watches her sleep he keeps telling him no it's never gonna happen we're just friends he still keeps trying yeah he's got to move on i think he should go after velma instead or scooby <laughs> i guess or shaggy just anyone else i guess is i mean he, he and shaggy seem to be hitting it off he's the only one who calls him the shagster that's true doesn't shaggy also call him the fredster Someone calls him Fred. Well, everyone else kept calling him. Um, they all kept calling him Mister Rogers, as opposed to Shaggy. That's the only one who accepted his nickname. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were calling him Mister Rogers. I missed that. How did I miss that? <laughs> That's all Velma called him the entire time. I don't know why I didn't. That didn't click to me, Mister Rogers. So the other thing that uh, was good about this book is that they kept, I think, all the catchphrases that I can remember from the old show. So I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like the first time that Velma uses jinkies when uh, one of her colleagues is turned into one of these monsters. She's running away from it and she just starts yelling jinkies, jinkies, jinkies. They're all like, what the hell does jinkies mean? <laughs> right. Also, they do curse in this one as well. They said hell like two or three times. Velma and Shaggy both. Oh, yeah. I do like the cursing. Of course. Yeah, I think everyone should be cursing and everything. I think it's better. Right. I pulled some of the catchphrases from the show. Here, let's listen to this one. Jeepers! Jeepers. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't remember that one. Oh, really? That's Daphne, but I don't remember it being like as commonplace as like Jinkies and Zoinks. No, yeah, I got those two, too. Jinkies! <laughs> so there we go. And also, they, they would say, uh, Scooby-Doo, where are you? I think that they said that a couple of times. Shaggy did that say did say that in the book. And Scrappy Doo says, "Let me at him," at the end there. So they're they're really covering the bases with the catchphrases. So I think that's good. Oh, Fred said, "We got to split up." That's another one. Oh, is that is that is that a thing you used to do? I don't. Remember. Yeah, they would always do that in the show. They would go to a haunted house. It's like we better split up, gang. And then <laughs> they would like 
go to different parts of the haunted house for no reason. Yeah, it'd always be the three of them, and then Shaggy and Scooby would be paired together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's usually when the montage of like running from doorway to doorway would always right. Yeah, and the the seventies music playing in the back. Oh man, classic. Yeah. So Fred says that in this one, and they're like, "Why the fuck are we split up? We're surrounded by demons. What the fuck are you talking about?" (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty good. Well, jinkies. Yeah, jinkies. Let me see here if I have anything else here. So they were trying to get some regular pizza at this Blazing Man festival. <laughs> and all that I could find was gluten-free pizza, which Scooby-Doo was not a fan of. No, he wasn't. Shaggy wasn't either, but it did look like Shaggy was at least eating his in the picture. Yeah, they had this uh, vegan pizza and shit, because Burning Man, of course, right? Gluten-free pizza is not a big thing at Burning Man. I've never been to Burning Man, but that vegan thing is a big thing over in california isn't it true yeah it's like that kind of area is a little more woke than the rest of the country <laughs> am i using that word right <laughs> very very much so yeah good and this one uh i guess one thing that i would have liked to see more of in this book is drug use since we're making it more adult anyway i you know i think it was always implied that shaggy was smoking a bunch of weed so i would have liked to see shaggy smoking weed or eating a like a weed brownie or something like that. I think I think we could have used more of that. It's still geared at children though, so you can't be this one? Oh. I, I think know. I think Maybe it's not. geared toward a little bit older than children. Uh, I think they're sort of gearing this toward people who remember this show when they were children. I don't think Shaggy has ever done drugs in his life. Well, it's always sort of implied like the way he talks and shit like that. Um it always kind of seems like you know, it's a little slow and like, hey, man, like we got to chill, man. And like shit like that. He he's definitely has that stoner vibe to him. So I, I would have liked to see more drug hmm. use in this show or in this comic. I would have liked to see more Scrappy Doo, which is why I'm coming back for the next issue. Right. <laughs> yeah, I want to see where they go with that. Scrappy Bane. Scrappy Bane. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy this a lot. I, I just went right through all six issues of this first volume, like, real fast. I, I mean, I recommend it. Yeah, it, again, it was a, a pleasant surprise. Like, kind of similar to the Flintstones one from last week. Like, way, way better than I would have expected it to be. Definitely worth checking out. You enjoyed the cartoon or even the movies as a kid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, these Hanna-Barbera comics have been, you know, we're, we're two for two on this one. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they're all probably going to be worth reading. So we'll have to do Jetsons. In the future, we'll check out that Jetsons one after after Giraffe-tober. Uh, Giraffe-tober. Yeah. We'll be checking out some Jetsons, I think. Yeah, we can check that one out, and uh, eventually we'll check out that one with Space Ghost in it, because I really want to see some Space oh, Ghost. Fuck yeah, of course Space <laughs> yeah. Ghost. Oh, man. All right, so that's all I got for Scooby-Doo. Anything else you got? Uh, no, I think we covered everything I had noted. All right, so you ready for the next one? Um, I am number two. Number number two. Boom! Transition. Okay. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't fucking know. Did that one work? Uh, Did that play well to the youth. Here we'll we'll uh we'll do this one here. Umbrella Academy. Oh, you, you actually had one. Okay. Apocalypse Sweet. <laughs> number two. Wait, wait, play play the uh play that classical music. Oh. For that Apocalypto or whatever that classical shitty music thing was that the violin guy had, the conductor. You can you can play it with your mouth because I don't have a clip. <laughs> oh, you can find it. I didn't. I didn't go for it while I was recording. I, I don't know many. Uh, I don't know much about this type <laughs> of music, but I assume those were like fairly big, like composers. I would imagine. Yeah, this one. I yeah, I didn't get around to finding clips of classical music for this. Damn yeah, it. sorry. So anyway, this one is about, would you call it a team of superheroes? Yeah, so the uh, little description that I read before picking this one last week said something about uh, there were 43 random, like, immaculate pregnancies of random women across the world. And uh, a rich man named Sir Reginald Hargrave he decides to adopt as many of these kids as he can, and he ends up getting seven of them. And he turns them into a team of superheroes because they're all born with superpowers somehow. 
they they kind of serve as a team called the Umbrella Academy for a while until like I, I don't know exactly what age it is when they all go their separate ways, but they all have a falling out with each other and they all go off on their own and, and his death is what brings them all back together and that's where the story kind of picks up from and, and what goes down is kind of the entire point of the story here. Right. So this this book actually opens up with a giant wrestler guy fighting a space squid in like a wrestling ring. And then when he beats the space squid, that's when the Immaculate Conceptions happen. People just birthed a baby as soon as the squid was, you know, even if they weren't pregnant, just that at that and moment, I, a baby just pops out of their vagina, apparently. Yeah, like, apparently the 43 women, not a single one of them was in a relationship or had recently been sexually active or had any, like, chance of being pregnant. They did make sure to point that out as well. Yeah. I love, like, when he adopts the seven kids, they're all already wearing, like, superhero masks. Yeah, I like to imagine that every single one of these 43 kids who were randomly born with these powers all came out of the womb with masks already on to conceal their identities. That's how I like to think of it, at least. Yeah, I, I, at first I thought those masks were just, like, part of their body because of that. <laughs> but apparently they actually can take off the masks. And the, so there's a guy, their, their father figure tries to look for as many of the children as they can and just finds seven of them. The guy's nickname, uh, what was what his name? His real name? I didn't write his real name. Mr. Monocle. Oh, his real name her... is Sir Reginald Hargrave. Okay, right. And... But... When they're out in the field, he goes by Mr. Monocle. I think he, I thought, thought they just called him The Monocle. No, everyone else was a The, but he went by Mr. Monocle, I thought. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I did like that it's just because he wears a monocle, and that's why they call him the Mon- or Mr. Monocle. So, <laughs> I mean, if, Dave, if you were in this guy's position, they'd call you the Indian's hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. That would be pretty good. Although I don't know if my if putting my Indian's hat on someone else would like reveal like the true power within a person, like his monocle apparently did. Yeah. What is so? What what if someone puts on your Indian's hat? What will they see or think about? The true power of my fandom, I guess, and awesomeness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I guess for me, they would call me the the aviators. Hmm. I just bought aviators like a month ago. And I keep wearing them. Well, if you if you just bought them, I mean, <laughs> no, it's it's my identity now. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, it's quickly it's part of who I it's, am. Fuck it's you. quickly become me. This is me now. These aviators. Oh man, I'm wearing them now. It's so woke. Fuck yeah, lit. It's fucking lit AF. I keep trying to find a way to sit to use the phrase low key, and I, I have trouble with it. But I want to say something like, yeah, I'm, I'm low key obsessed with these aviators, but I think it's high key. I mean, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be low-key in the scenario because you you just explained the entire podcast listening to yeah. how much you love them already. But I just learned that low-key phrase from that second season of American Vandal, but I still can't find a way to use it. <laughs> I'm too old to figure <laughs> this out, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, wait, wait. Would you say you low-key liked this story? Yeah, I was, I was low-key feeling the story. I got through it. Like I, I just read through the whole thing, uh, I think in less than an hour. Like I, I, I got, there you go. I got See, through that it real worked. quick. That worked. So I was, uh, I was low key feeling the story. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, and then anyway, the the forty three children. Um, do they follow these children in a different storyline or something? Because I saw there were different Umbrella Academy books. Do you do you know anything about? what this going into this no like i had never read or heard of the series going into this but like volume two is called dallas so i don't know if it's gonna follow like a new set of kids i i don't know if they're all supposed to be like one-off stories because i'm assuming the other uh 36 children must be either like potential super like villains or potential like allies so I don't know if like that's the case, the direction that they go in in the story or what. But I mean, that would make the most sense to me that some of them are going to be bad guys, some of them are going to be allies going forward if they follow this four basis team. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this one there, like forty three, just seems like a oddly specific number to only get seven of them. 
And I mean, it, it is seven, but one of them dies in the very first mission. So oh, that's I mean, true. We, we don't even like reference this kid again, except for like when they talk about his death. So it's <laughs> six of them for this entire book. Right, right. So I wonder what happened with the other ones. The way this book was listed was Umbrella Academy, Apocalypse Suite, six issues. And then there were other, the other volumes were like in separate categories uh, at the library. I think it might be different stories. Let me, let, me, let me just pull up. Let me pull up Dallas and see if I can read the uh, scripture for that one and see if it says. Okay. While I'm doing this, go through the actual characters. So, number one, who 20 years later becomes Moon Boy. Space Boy. Moon Boy. Space Boy. Yeah. Space Boy. His real name is Luther. Number seven was Vanya. She didn't have. She was always held out of missions. It seemed like she, because the father told her she wasn't special enough to actually go in the field, but she let her play a giant part in this movie or in this book, and she gets a nickname finally called the White Violin, and she's like a, a expert violin player who also wrote a tell-all, dirty gossip book about the entire family. So the entire time, like, because she kept going off and playing, like, the violin, and that's what he would have her do when everyone else was in the field, I was thinking that she was going to have some kind of, like, a healing, like, musical instrument power that, like, she just didn't realize. No, it's the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it turned out to not be that at all. Right. It's much more metal. And then, number, I liked number five. He was probably my favorite. I, I don't think they ever actually say his actual name, but before the first mission even starts, number five has already ran away from home. He has the powers of uh, jumping through time. And Mr. Monocle told him that if he goes into the future, he's going to be stuck there. Oh, shit. So I'm looking up Umbrella Academy right now. It's illustrated by Dave Stewart. Well, Church. damn. So obviously I'm going to continue reading this series. <laughs> oh, so it does. It is still the same team. OK. All right. So they, it does follow the same characters then. Yeah. Oh, OK. So the, the cover of the second one has like a child or I thought it was like a toddler holding a gun, but it's going back in time to when, because briefly in this number five mentions when he was coming back, he had to do a bunch of shit in the past to like get to where he got to. And he had mentioned that he was a part of the JFK assassination. So apparently that's why it's called Dallas, because it's his story, what part he had to play during that. Oh, okay. All right, that makes it sound even cooler now. Yeah. I guess we'll have to have a try with this one then, since you wrote it. But uh, yeah, so number number five was stuck 50 years in the future and he's trying to figure out a way to like prove mr monocle wrong that he can somehow travel back in time yeah and he's just this old beaten up decrepit old man who's there all alone going kind of crazy and finally this inanimate object statue that he's been hanging out with all the time kind of reveals a math problem that he had and did wrong and that kind of somehow unlocks the secret to traveling backwards in time i think that it was uh just his own mind telling him that and that it was just a illusion that it came from the mannequin. That's kind of what I got. I like from to it. think it was really Dolores. I like <laughs> to think Dolores was right there helping him this whole time with the map. Right. But yeah, anyway, the, so he jumps ahead in the future where it's already an apocalypse world. So it's totally, you know, desecrated and he, it's just only him there as a kid. And then he thinks it's cool at first, but then eventually decides he wants to go back because he finds the book that Vanya wrote about the, what happened with her family in that time. So he decides to figure out how to go back in time and it takes him 50 years to figure it out. So that's how he becomes an old man is just by being there. But then when he does go back, he's still, he's going to be permanently stuck as a 50 year old man in a 10 year old child body, I guess. Oh yeah. For some reason there's a monkey, a monkey mentor slash assistant that they have called Mr. Pogo. Yeah. And, oh, no, and he's kind of like running this Dr. Pogo. Dr. Pogo, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he's kind of running all these like blood tests and stuff on him. And he's like, well, you're trapped in this 10 year old body forever. Yeah. But you're a 50 year old man still, I guess. Yeah. And then number three, Allison, she became the rumor. But she, after, like, after they broke up, she ended up going off and getting married and having a child. And she never once uses her powers in this, so I have no idea what she actually can do. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Is uh, What I kind of got from it is, I think if she tells a rumor, people maybe will believe it. That's kind of what I felt they were implying. Oh. But 
Yeah, because I, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird code name to give someone. Because I felt like whenever she would say like, "Oh, I heard a rumor," blah blah blah, people would just stop her from talking before she could finish her sentence. Like, don't use your voodoo on me, woman, or something like that. Oh, uh, maybe. Okay, so that would make sense then, because when they have the big showdown, she cuts her uh, vocal. Cords. Yeah, like as soon as she says, she "I heard a rumor," speak. it's like you know, cuts her vocal cords out. Okay, that makes way more sense then. Um, that's what my guess is. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's probably right. And then number four is Klaus. He's the seance. He can kind of talk to the dead and the spirits of the ghosts or spirits of the dead. Uh, number six is the one who died in that very first mission. And number two is called Diego. He's the Kraken, but he's now working as a secret agent going by Agent 00.02. And uh, this, this very first mission, so they kind of go to the Eiffel Tower. It has somehow become a came alive and is attacking and just randomly throwing people, tourists, off of it and letting them just fall to their deaths. And it turns out that inside of the Eiffel Tower is... Oh, what the fuck was his name? I wrote it down here. Zombie Robot. The zo- zombie Robot um, Gustav Eiffel. The creator of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. He keeps speaking in French, and I don't know French, but I used a translator. Oh, really? Non je su touche means no, I am touched. That's what he yells when he got the knife through the head <laughs> by Diego. Okay. And then he also said modit infants, which is cursed children when they first came into contact with him. Okay. Yeah. I absolutely didn't pronounce those correctly, so yeah, anyone nice who French. majored in French or knows French, correct us at Giraffes HBT Pod. <laughs> Let us know how to say this shit. Yeah. Yeah, teach us some French, because I'm not going to learn it. <laughs> yeah, not a chance. No way. So this zombie robot, Gustav Eiffel, he is driving the Eiffel Tower, and it turns out the Eiffel Tower is a rocket ship or something stupid like that. It's a spaceship, yeah, yeah it's not actually a tower. <laughs> As Mr. Monocle like, just so happened to know this and explains to him at the end of the fight. Yeah, I wonder what the deal with Mr. Monocle is. He seems to know all this Well, I mean, bullshit. his monocle lets him see the secret powers of everything, so I assume he could just, like, look at it and be like, oh, wait, that's a ship. Okay, I guess it's just that, then. Anyway, is that, is that all the children? Yeah, that's, that's all six of them. Or seven. All right. And then uh, their mother is a weird combination of mannequin pieces, just, like, thrown together. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up next. What the fuck? <laughs> that was really weird. Okay, so you, you don't know what the fuck's going on with that, either? The mannequin no mother. No idea. No. <laughs> it's like their mother comes up wearing this big black jacket um, and starts talking about the monocle at his funeral. And then for some reason, Diego, the, Kraken. the Kraken, he just comes up, pulls the coat off, and it's just a mannequin with like all you see the organs and the torso, but then the body's just made of wood and shit. So I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to be. Yeah, it's like it's like her lower half is like a dress rack or something. Yeah. And then the top has, like, actual organs to it, and then there is a brain. It's a weird, weird thrown-together combination of bits and pieces. I don't understand how it's supposed to be a person. Yeah, I But, like, she's talking like she's actually there, and she's actually, like, crying at this funeral. Yeah. So, that's what that is, I guess. It's fucking weird. Very. But anyway, them coming together apparently triggers some robots like killer robots made by someone named dr terminal which was like a sick guy and he keeps stealing people's life force or something to keep himself alive for longer but i think they eventually killed him before so it's super weird he's like so you guys will never know when i'm gonna strike next i may already be dead or i may be locked away in this he keeps talking about some like i don't know if it's a sort of like negative zone type of prison thing that mr monocle somehow has opportunity to like throw super villains into but he says your your father may have already thrown me in that tower i think is what he said hmm. or i may be dead but somehow at some point in time in the future if you all ever come back together again all seven of you it's going to trigger this thing or no no he must have already known that six had died because it triggers when the six of them reunite so yeah it, it was fucking weird how that happened to work out for yeah him. so yeah somehow these robots are activated when they're together so they start killing everything at a carnival they start fighting people at the carnival 
Um, and I guess in the events leading up to that, Vanya goes and meets a the conductor who is part of the the orchestra Verdamenten. Yeah, that, that's kind of a hard name. I thought it was Verdam Verdamten. Doesn't matter, but okay. it's, it's part of some orchestra who this conductor he he looks like a he has skeleton face paint on so he looks you know he's definitely a bad guy that's that's how you know well yeah because he has a skeleton <laughs> face paint uh but he promises all the musicians death and destruction from their performance so that's what they need vanya for because she has apparently has a power to kill people with her violin playing yeah and she's just a really really good violinist as well so that helps that's true. You know, all that practice. You would think if Monocle and Pogo knew this about her, they would have taught her like a different fucking instrument. Like, just don't ever let this girl play a violin then, if that's like the potential killer weapon of hers. Yeah. Like, teach her the goddamn drums or like fucking clarinet. Just keep her away from music. Like, don't even let her listen to music. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Better safe than sorry. Right. I mean, who knows? Teach her, teach her baseball or football or basketball or soccer or something. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Get into sports and shit like that. Maybe it's better that way. Ballet. I mean, anything else. Swimming. Just as long as it's not music. They lived in England. So, like, rowing is rowing a big sport in England? <laughs> Fuck if I know. Probably. They have rivers. Football. Yeah. Football. They can play. I mean, fucking anything else. Just no violins. Yeah, I don't know why they really push that. Yeah, that should be co- that should be common sense call number fucking one right there. Right. But anyway, so she gets an invitation from the conductor to play violin, and you know she goes there and tries out, and then once she realizes what it is, she's like, "Nah, I don't want to do this." And then the conductor's like, "Oh, she's going to her family, so she'll be back here very soon because her family sucks." Well, because she'd written that tell-all book, so they already all kind of, like, hate her for Right, me. sure. But yeah, so she goes back there, and I think the, what, what, during the killer robot thing, she runs into the Kraken. Kraken tells her to fuck off, which makes her feel bad, so then she ends up going back to the conductor and doing something to unleash her powers. I'm not really sure what the hell that was. Yeah, the conductor did some weird, like, Frankenstein-style surgery on her because he also apparently knows how to do that surgical procedures right and he turns her into the white violin she's just like a living white violin but she still has to hold and play an actual violin yeah but her torso is looks like a violin now she has like strings going yeah. down her body <laughs> like i mean yeah i mean you know most comic book supervillains have to like kind of dress the part so i think that's kind of all that was yeah that's true uh, I did actually like the white violin a lot. I thought it was pretty badass. So as soon as she gets her powers, she just like plays a note and it tears the conductor in half. So he's out of the picture. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, like I really love the uh, random little like super violent images that they would just kind of uh, throw in there every now and oh, then. Oh yeah, like right when uh, right when she attacks. And Dr. Pogo gets it. Oh, fuck. Like, it's a picture of him just kind of, like, looking out the door, and then the next page is him, just, like, his brain is just everywhere. Yeah. In the room behind him. Brain is, like, all over the place, like, spaghetti and shit. (laughs) It's fucked. Yeah. It is so brutal. And then, like, also number five, when he and Diego are kind of taking out the entire orchestra, Uh Diego says something about, like, oh, watch your back, kid. He's like, I know what I'm doing, thank you. And you, you see him just punching his fist through a man's skull. <laughs> like, <laughs> just so effortlessly. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number five is clearly the best. Yeah, number five is awesome. That whole time travel thing is great. But anyway, yeah, so Vanya, who's now the white violin, she's like traveling around. Or she, not traveling around, she goes back to the Umbrella Academy to, you know, sort of fuck that place up. And I think number five realizes at some point, like, oh, this is what caused the apocalypse was, you know, the, the, his sister doing this destruction music. He, he put on Mr. Mo- he found Mr. Monocle's monocle in the drawer. Oh, that's what it was. And he put it on for a second, and that's when he saw what happened, but it knocked him out. And that was right when she was coming to attack, and that's when they killed Dr. Pogo. And he woke up from the uh, blast of the building falling down. So they have a final showdown in some kind of a concert hall where Seance 
dresses up like yeah. their fathers and uh, pretends that he's channeling their father to make her feel bad. Like he brings on a orchestra of kids for some reason, and they start like playing a song that's supposed to be able to stop her. <laughs> and that's that's when uh, Five and Diego and uh, or no, no, it's just Five and Diego are there fighting her because she already slit Allison's throat and Space Boy ran off to get her to a new York. Mm-hmm. Also, the two of them kissed. And I know that like none of them are blood-related brother and sisters, but you've been brother and sister with them your entire fucking lives. Like You've never known your real parents or families. They, they go through explicitly saying that uh, Monocle, when he first like adopted all these children, wiped every record of their lives mm-hmm. before he adopted them. So, I mean, like, those two, I don't think, know that they're not blood-related brother and sister, and they fucking kissed. What the hell That's is right. that about? That's fucked up. That was pretty fucked. But, uh, yeah, so, like, they're in love, so he, he leaves the battle to save her life, because he loves his fucking sister. <laughs> and then, number five in the most baller move of all time, just shoots the white violin in the back of the head. Oh, yeah. And she's distracted by seance, and uh, Diego couldn't kill her. Oh, yeah, because he had a knife to her throat or- the beginning of the fight, but he couldn't do it because he was the only one who actually loved her. Wait, yeah, he loved her. Fuck, what is going on with this family? So they have a weird love triangle with brother sister. No, it goes. It goes into that. Uh, you know, I think they're just playing off the popularity of like stepsister porn and shit like that. Maybe that's what they're going for. Um. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So, yeah, after he shoots. Vanya in the head, though, somehow there is a part of the moon coming down onto the academy. Is that right? Or I don't know if it's exactly there or if it's just the Earth. This is what Space Boy... So Space Boy has been living on the moon yeah. in case the Earth is ever in peril from like an alien attack or any kind of like meteor or anything like that. He's going to stop it. He's got this little robot butler that he built for himself called Ben. And Ben sends him a warning saying, hey, part of the moon just broke off somehow and it's crashing towards the Earth. He's like, oh, well, I'm with this sister who I'm now making out with and in love with, so I'll get to it later. Yeah. So it does come crashing down and somehow Seance is able to stop it with telekinesis. Yeah, they they said that they had all known that he had had telekinesis, but none of them knew how strong it was yeah so oh i I think it's part of the because they kept asking vanya what did you do so i think it was part of that song she was playing somehow did that maybe i i guess it must be i I was kind of confused at the end of the year it was a there's a lot going on it's hard to follow a little bit but yeah they stop it and i mean that's pretty much it like the apparently vanya does survive it missed the vital parts of her brain apparently or some shit like that i also liked yeah i liked how her blood was like silver though oh yeah that was cool that was cool yeah hell yeah yeah so so there's doctors who can save her she just may never regain full motor skills yeah so i guess maybe she'll be alive but can't play violin or something like that that's what i'm guessing will happen it did say that was a possibility yeah also the the song that the conductor wrote for her that's what's called the Apocalypse Suite. Oh, and right. he describes it as two parts Faust, three parts La Boheme, a dash of Messiah, and a bit of his own canta, Cantation? Uh, cantata. Oh. Cantata. Okay. So I don't, I don't know shit about like classical or orchestra music, but uh, yeah. At Giraffes HBT Pod, let us know what those are. <laughs> You're a classical music yeah, aficionado. So, sound bites. We want sound bites, man. I mean, I, I assume Faust and Mohimi are like super well known conductors or composers. Possibly those are the names of uh, songs. I, I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are either. But yeah, this, this the Apocalypse Sweet song that he made sounds pretty badass from this description. Sure. I bet it's pretty yeah. badass and metal. Dash and Messiah. I mean, come on. That's metal right there. Isn't that a metal band? Is there a metal band called A Dash of Messiah? Maybe there's just one called Messiah. I don't know, though. Maybe. Oh, man. See? Metal. Super metal. Put some corpse in. Some hate breed. Hate breed. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'd be into it. So, I guess one one more thing about this book. I had another note about Space Boy. I think the way he's built, it kept reminding me of Earthworm Jim. Oh, I was going to say Mr. Fantastic. Oh, really? <laughs> or not Mr. Fin- Mr. Incredible. Mr. Incredible from The Incredible. Uh, no, man. Earthworm Jim, I think, because he's wearing that space suit. And he's he's got this huge like upper body and like skinny little legs. <laughs> that's what that's what I was thinking of. I kept thinking that the whole time. He's he's just kind of like around this shape that just reminded me of Mister Incredible the entire time though, because he's also got like a similar like hairstyle. That's true. Yeah, and the, those masks are very the Incredibles. I think they look exactly the same as the Incredibles mess. Yeah, that like all they are is just black mm-hmm. eye masks that just go over your eyes, and that's all they cover. Right, but with Space Boy, was he always half monkey? With like when he was a child, was he's, he half he's not, monkey? He's not monkey at all. I, what the fuck? No, he said that as an insult to him, and then Dr. Pogo walked outside and said, I'm the only one who's part chimpanzee, and I find that offensive. Oh yeah, because he can be racist to monkeys now. Yeah. Mm. So there was a little interesting thing where when they were first like introducing uh, Moon Boy or Space Boy, Space Boy, it said there was like a bunch of uh, newspaper clippings around him. They had said that there was like an accident that had happened in during one of the battles before he decided to just live up in space where he got injured and, and Hargrave Monocle had to like rebuild him. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that spacesuit is an actual like costume or if that's his body now. Yeah. I, I would have to read more into that one. I didn't really like take note of it at the time because I was like, oh, that's really weird. But OK. Yeah. The. Some of the details are a little vague in this book, but I wonder if they get more into it in other books. Yeah, probably. Anything else about this one? Uh, no, that was that was all my notes. All right. So I yeah, I enjoyed this one. I would recommend this one too. I I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. I loved the white violin character and that whole story. Like the whole arc was you know pretty. Uh, you know, I I got through it all in one sitting. It's a very short read. You know, it took me under an hour to get through all six issues of this one, which I think is pretty good. Yeah, like, I sat down and just did it this afternoon while watching the playoff baseball game. So, I mean, yeah, it's real quick and easy once you actually got into it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's a, it's a Dark Horse series, too. So, I mean, they, they did that Metalocalypse stuff we read, I believe. And they also are most known for Hellboy. So, right, they do some good stuff over there at Dark Horse. Yeah, we'll have to get into some other Dark Horse stuff eventually, because I, I did enjoy it. Uh, I mean, I think we both highly recommend it. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. We went into it with no clue what it was going to be or what it was supposed to even be about, but I think we both kind of enjoyed it, so definitely worth getting into if you want. Hell yeah. So, speaking of not knowing what we're getting into, next week on... Giraffe-tober. <laughs> 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 Next week. Love that splat. Yeah. You know, the only reason I put that in there was because I wanted to hard cut the uh, background sounds. <laughs> and that was the only way I could do it was with the sound effect. So I found pumpkin splatting. <laughs> uh, so next week, I have chosen a book called Ice Cream Man, Volume 1, Rainbow Sprinkles. Is it about the Ice Cream Man? Like from the movies? The horror movies? That's Candyman, isn't it? Oh, that's... Fuck, that's Snowman. Never mind. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't think there's a movie about this one. But each issue is a different story about different characters who are all going through their own problems and scary stuff or whatever. But they're all tied together somehow through an Ice Cream Man. It's called Ice Cream Man Covered Sprinkles. Rainbow Sprinkles. Rainbow. Yeah, okay. Ice Cream Man, Volume 1, Rainbow Sprinkles. And it's only issues 1 to 4, so I guess the one's a little shorter, but I think that's okay. So, yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, I don't really know what to expect from this one, but that's what it's about. Is it? Is it like a horror series? It is a horror series, yeah. That's what I'm told. Okay. So, it, I mean, it's a like Candyman. You know, it's a, it's, it sounds very... <laughs> nice and childish but i guess it's apparently a horror thing so it's got good reviews apparently so we'll have a try with that one yeah it'll be appropriate right so what do you want to read so i'm gonna go with a uh another dark horse comic since we had just talked about how you want to start checking some of their stuff out again 
Uh, I'm, I'm going with The Strain, Volume 1. It's issues 1 through 6. We talked last week about how much I fucking love that show. I mean, this is the first six issues, so I assume it's going to be everything that you had seen right before you stopped watching it. Hopefully. So it probably won't be anything new for you. But, yeah, we're going to go with that one. Giraffe-tober feel to that one. Fuck yeah, it's very Giraffe-tober. So we got vampires and ice cream next week. It's going to be good. <laughs> spooky. <laughs> very spooky. Spooky ice cream. Ice cream with sprinkles. Vanilla. Plain vanilla ice cream cone. Mm. No extra flavor. Truly terrifying. So this this uh, ice cream man book is also by Image Comics. So I think we'll be, I think this will be a good book here. Yeah, should be solid done. All right then. Thank you, Daniel Burbank, for "Sorry I Like You." you can find it at SoundCloud.com/slash Daniel Burbank. You can follow us on the internet at Giraffes HBT Pod on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Dstu the God. Follow Donnie. D Lewandowski. Patreon.com. Slash giraffes have black tongues. Exactly what I was going to say. Right. Church. Hell yeah. Join us again next Friday for. Giraffe Hoover. <laughs> <laughs>